It's been said that the way you do anything is the way that you do everything. And in the case of Kaiser Path Architecture, that means everything done is in collaboration with careful listening, care for the planet, and care for each other. It would be difficult to explain how a conversation about building design leads to political healing, but it can. When your approach is to go all in on what you think will benefit the most, that's often what you get. In episode two of The Roadcast, we caught a gorgeous spring day in Portland, Oregon to sit down with Ben Kaiser and Emily Dawson. Ben is the founding partner, and Emily Dawson is a partner and principal of Kaiser Path Architecture. Kaiser Path is leading the movement to use cross-laminated timber, or CLT, when building tall buildings. CLT is a renewable, durable, practical, fire-resistant, and energy-efficient resource that's also just gorgeous. It's wood. Manufacturing CLT produces far fewer carbon emissions than steel or concrete, and building with wood traps the carbon naturally stored in the tree's fibers, preventing it from being released into the atmosphere. Kaiser Path designed, developed, and built Carbon 12, currently the tallest CLT building in the country. Our conversation today touches upon how the way we design and build can impact our feelings, moods, and overall health. Really and truthfully, just a wonderful conversation touching on a broad array of subjects. Ben and Emily are not just thought leaders in this space, but also some of the leading practitioners. They are the go-to team when considering how to build with mass timber in the U.S. It was an honor to sit with the both of them. We hope that you enjoy episode two of The Roadcast, and we'll see you down the road. I think maybe a good way to start is, Ben, maybe you could just orient us to who Kaiser Path is, um, what you focus on, and then um, we're just going to, I kind of want to set the table just a little bit in the sense that it will be focused on CLT and just kind of the role of CLT for folks that maybe don't don't know what that is. Um, Just kind of give us the overview. So starting with CLT, Jake, or going back? Let's go. Let's go. Go back to the early '80s. Where do you, you want to go? <laughs> you guide us, Ben. Where do you, Where would you like to start? You back. Let's go Just to age four. Let's go back together. Um, so Kaiser Path is, as the name signifies, a combination of a construction company and of a architectural firm, and that's pretty interesting. Um, each one is separately licensed and different insurance and all the associated baggage of, of, a, of a firm like that. Uh, but what's fun about uh, what Emily and I put together is that it's, it's able to do the entire development process from buying land all the way through to managing properties um, because it's both an architectural firm and a con- general contracting firm as well as a development firm. And that uh, allows us insight into things, materials, processes, that I think when you're siloed in a particular architectural firm or a particular general contracting firm, you don't necessarily have um, vision into. So when mass timber came along, and mass timber being glued wood products that um, equate to something stronger than they are singularly, uh, when mass timber came along, um, we were able to pick up that palette and analyze it from the developer side, the architectural side, the general contracting side, and the long-term management side. 
as is represented just even by these buildings behind us. So um, it's been an exciting journey adding mass timber to our repertoire. And I think Emily and I are both convinced that that's, that is our way forward, is only mm -hmm. developing, designing, building with mass timber. And that's due to, as you know, the environmental benefits of that material. Mm -hmm. So that's a quick overview. Yeah, that's perfect. And maybe just for people that are unfamiliar with the product and the process, maybe diving in specifically to CLT and just maybe a little deeper explanation of what is it exactly that we're talking about? What is cross-laminated timber? Well, Emily had probably the first building in the United States, so I'm going to hand this <laughs> off to uh, Emily. Go Jake. for it. Cross, so cross-laminated timber, it's to me, it's this beautifully intuitive product. Um, it's solid wood panels, basically about 10 feet by 40 feet, depending on the manufacturer. And it's made with dimensional lumber, typically. So the kind of thing that you'd see just walking through Home Depot, except that it is glued at um, perpendicularly to each other in, uh, in layers, at least three layers up to nine layers. So it can be very thick um, and very strong. and can be used for floors, roofs, walls, um, entire building structural systems. And because it's panelized, it's modular. And so it drops in and you can construct a building with it really quickly because they're these big, big pieces. So the, one of the things we like about it the most too is that it is made out of wood, which is a bio-based material. So you can grow it, um, pulling carbon out of the atmosphere while, while you do that. So um, turning buildings into um, really carbon sinks is a really exciting way to start to look at uh, building structures. Why did it take to the <laughs> 90s? I mean, so, right, plywood's been around. We have mm -hmm. plywood. Um, but it's not until the 90s till this mm -hmm. product comes to fruition. Why? What was the... I mean, That's a great question, Jake, mm -hmm. as to why that uptake took so long to realize that it could be panelized mm -hmm. to what Emily said. Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of it has to do with just the predominance of other materials, so concrete uh -huh. and steel. Mm -hmm. So concrete and steel, when they were introduced, were as equally as amazing, right? Concrete's mm -hmm. an amazing material when it came around mm -hmm. 100 and whatever years ago in regard, in regard to high-rise construction. So and I think that just predominated uh, the industry for that long and probably just kept other ideas out because mm -hmm. everybody was so fascinated with that. But I think the real turning point in regard to wide-scale adoption came when we started to internalize and understand, finally, that climate change is real. Mm. Um, because without climate change being the tailwind of the change to mass timber, I don't think mass timber would be adopted yep. because mm -hmm. concrete is fantastic and it's pretty affordable in regard to what it accomplishes. Mm -hmm. But in as always, Europe is usually about 20 years ahead of us on everything and this mm -hmm. is no exception. So I think in regard to the environment, they started enacting very strict regulations uh, in Europe well before our regulations and I think that drove innovation which mm -hmm. is to Emily's point drove mm -hmm. uh, the Austrians to invent it and the English to pick it up mm -hmm. yep. and then us roughly two decades behind mm -hmm. came to our shores. I wonder if, if either one of you maybe connect the dots for us we, we have climate change out here mm -hmm. and then CLT and mass timber being super important like connect the dots for people like what's mm -hmm. the connection between the two you know, how do they connect? Why is it important? What's its effect? 
It's, it's, a, it's a really interesting thing to be using forests as a resource for building materials. It's, it's funny, we don't really think about where our materials come from for, for other things, but when we think about wood, it's just really obvious that it comes from trees. And we're a tree-dwelling species, right? Like as soon as we learned how to use fire or use sharp tools, we were working with wood and um, using wood for shelters. And we're just, we just have a really close relationship with trees. And so when we think about it, it's, it's intuitive where that material is coming from. And then of course, um, we're aware that these are, these are living, growing ecosystems. Um, so when we think about turning um, forests into forest products and then forest products into, into buildings, that chain, um, it's really important how that chain um, works from an ecosystem standpoint. Um, and when we talk about sequestering carbon, taking that, the carbon from that forest that will then regrow and pull more carbon out of the atmosphere, um, we're actually storing that carbon in long-term products. A building is one of the most long-term products that humanity creates, so it's an opportunity to, to pull some of that carbon out of the atmosphere and, and put it in um, something that will last for centuries, potentially. Mm. So it's a really interesting opportunity if you think about it at scale. Um, and then you necessarily must then also think back to the forest resource and understand how to be good custodians of that um, at, at scale, um, which is something that a lot of uh, really smart people are thinking about right now. Um, and mass timber has, has sparked everybody's imagination about how that might happen. It's, it's really interesting that um, I think one of the big differences in CLT over Glulam is that it's, it's a yeah. product that can replace constru uh, non-combustible construction. Okay. Um, things that we typically think of as not being able to burn. And, and CLT is actually, it really is non-combustible. It's like a giant tree, you know, when a forest fire comes through a forest, the giant trees are, are left standing and, mm. they, and they continue to live. And uh, similarly, when a mass timber building is subjected to, to burning, it, it self-extinguishes, in fact. So hmm. um, that's, that's actually crazy. starting to show up in the codes as a reality yeah. for us to be able to work with. And then what Emily said, Jake, is just in conjunction with the fact that the other set of materials, concrete and steel, produce inordinate amounts of carbon. Right. There you go. Right. So concrete, the production of concrete and strip mining for the gravel and aggregate mm -hmm. and the lime production are all high heat, high extraction, high carbon processes. Mm -hmm. So th that actually is generating carbon, whereas mm -hmm. to Emily's point, the wood is sequestering the carbon. There you go. Mm -hmm. So it's not just a neutral, it's a negative right. uh, um, comparison. So that's the whole uh, the thing why it's gaining so much traction so quickly is because to Emily's point, the CLT, cross-laminated timber, replaces in-kind, structurally, post-tension concrete. Mm -hmm. okay. So it has almost the same capacity as mm -hmm. post-tension concrete, um, however, sequesters carbon. So there's the big delta that developing development teams around the world are why they're picking it up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So That's so good. There's an obvious connection, carbon-12, the name of your building, mm -hmm. you know, one of your buildings, you know, mm -hmm. connecting it to this sequestering of carbon or what's the carbon 12 what's the story kind of behind it there's a nice uh confluence of 12 is the address it's 12 northeast <laughs> fremont as well as it's the i was hoping for some like really <laughs> amazing we're like, going oh, you're there. gonna weave it okay. we're going there you get it and it's the atomic weight of carbon mm. so uh it the 12 lined up perfectly yeah okay there you go love it <laughs> sitting in my
parking system okay um, and the car just pulls into this garage and then the car once you come out this door uh, lasers check the car for like sleeping people or cats and then the car is lowered and spins and gets racked underneath the building what? and then when you come out you fob in the lobby and the car is waiting back up facing facing Fremont This is a condominium building, so these are for sale units. Uh, we have two left now. How many are there? Uh, 16 altogether. So one of the unique things about this building is that the elevator opens right up into each unit. That's why you have doors on either side, because each floor has two units, and this is the front door to the unit. Oh, no way. Sitting in my truck, trying to get that laid. So this, yeah, so uh, it's really fascinating. So these columns and beams and panels, those are CLT panels you're seeing up on the ceiling. Okay. They all are made in the factory and they all have CNC connections already put into the beams and into the columns. So we don't even put the connections on, so the connections are done up in Penticton, Canada. So the whole thing just clicks together, literally, it has numbers, numbered, they're sequentially numbered. You take a, a barcode reader and it shows you, oh, this column goes at the southwest corner and the column's space 52. That clicks to the beam, then the panels are just uh, picked up and these panels are roughly 11 and a half feet wide. Most of them are about 42 feet long. Um, and I think these are seven and a half inch thick panels. And then the panels just click together. So and that's it. That's it. And the other cool thing is this whole building was pre-finished in the factory. So this whitewash two-part epoxy finish was done up in Canada. So we didn't even, so what was built in the pouring range is actually the finished product. One of the most interesting things outside of the environmental benefits is the fact that our Revit modeling programs mm. communicate for the first time in the history of architecture and development with a CNC machine on a factory floor. So it's, that's, that, that doesn't happen in any other type of construction where the Revit program can actually cut the material. Um, and we're not there yet, but I think we're within a couple of years of that actually happening. So the architectural firm will be hitting a button and within days or whatever the schedule allows, that material will be, be cut to within zero tolerance, right, on a factory floor. It's and amazing. so that I think is going to, for those of folks who don't adopt the environmental benefits, who don't believe in the mm -hmm. challenges that we're facing, um, that other side of the equation is equally as transformative, I think. It's that, that's, oh my gosh, we're, we're actually controlling from a dry, warm office how the building is actually constructed interesting without being in a rainy job trailer and reviewing shop drawings so i think that's a, that's going to be mm -hmm. the actually the more I, th I i would say the more rapid adoption reason okay. is that i can't remember did you say something like where there wasn't even a saw on the site you know yeah, yeah. Right. tallest wood building in the country and no saws on the mm -hmm. 
It's just like a big puzzle then. Yeah, you just put a big puzzle together. Yeah. Just sequential pieces that were numbered and you just click it together. There's something too about working on a on a mass timber building that everybody just feels a little bit more <laughs> engaged and involved. Like they actually love the building in a way that I haven't seen on a lot of projects where I, I mean, our, our mechanical contractor, I remember um, getting to know him really well, the, the superintendent for the, for the mechanical contractor, because we were talking about everything that, that he was doing. All of a sudden it was like, well, this is going to be exposed. You know, it's going to be, it's this finished material now. And it, he's, he thought about it so differently after, you know, being in the wood building for a little bit. And pretty soon he is totally invested in how this building turns out. And that that's just across the board. Yeah. I see people just feel more ownership about the building, more emotional attachment to it. It's it's, it's that biophilia, it's that wood, <laughs> you know, it starts with the construction team. <laughs> starts with the design team and then um, all the way through construction. It's really These buildings a actually curing COVID. I mean, oh, there's COVID. there's nothing they're not there's, doing at yep. this point. They're just They're absolutely curing. We're solving yeah, political <laughs> issues. Cure bad <laughs> knees. We have climate change. Yeah. Yeah. We just Gout. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so uh, good. Um, but really, actually, wood surfaces like, but really, yeah, are, actually, they do. Um, anti have antiviral properties because of the terpenes okay. in wood. Like naturally, actually, wood does have so good. antiviral, antibacterial uh, properties. <laughs> We're not kidding around here. Not kidding. It, it, no, COVID yeah. lands on wood. Boom, it's gone. It cures gout. <laughs> it cures gout. As it, it turns gout. out. Uh, Emily, I want to pick it up. There's a you have a, a remark that says you want to work to make buildings behave more like plants. Mm -hmm. So I'd love for you to just unpack that a little more for us. There's so much wisdom all around us in nature. I mean, we are part of nature. I think it's really important to remember that, that we are, we are part of these systems. And the inherent beautiful knowledge of a closed circular system like a, like a, like a forest or mm -hmm. a plant that's using photosynthesis, it's, um, you know, it's both removing nutrients from the soil and then giving back nutrients to the soil. It's just, just, there's so much beautiful knowledge um, in nature about how to make things um, less wasteful, mm. in fact, zero wasteful. I know, I know we can do that uh, with our built environment. I know we can. Um, and we're getting closer and closer. I mean, we're starting to use more bio-based products. Uh, we're starting to think about the way our buildings breathe and mm. give us light and energy um, in ways that require a lot less fossil fuel consumption. We're getting closer and closer and closer to, to what we call uh, net zero, mm -hmm. right? Or even going beyond that to regenerative architecture. So we're actually healing the systems that we used to be sort of taking from. So how does a building <laughs> breathe? A building, there's, there's so many different, <laughs> the way that buildings used to breathe before yeah. mechanical ventilation, um, you'd open a window on one side of the building, you'd open a window on the other side of the building and the, and the air moves through. Mm -hmm. um, in different climates, there's different strategies involving um, added heat like fire or in really hot climates, you'd have um, maybe you're adding water to mm. help cool the air as it passes through. There's a lot of really sophisticated ways to move air through a building that don't require energy. Also wanted to spend a little more time on that, like this, maybe for folks that don't know, bio, is it biophilic? Yeah, design. biophilia. Or, yeah, and so, just the benefits, or I, I hear you describing it, mm -hmm. but maybe even just continue to just this, you know, you talk about us being a, a part of the natural environment, we are animals, mm -hmm. we're there, and, and there is this, 
um, symbiotic like relationship, like even in being in a building that can happen. So yeah. love to just, what are the it's true. benefits, when impacts? You, think you hear about, you know, sick building syndrome. What if our buildings were actually healing us and actually helping us be more and more healthy? Um, there's some wonderful research going on at the University of Oregon around healthy biomes in buildings and how actually we want to invite in those good biomes and how do we do that? What kind of materials do we have around us to make sure that, that we're supporting those healthy biomes that in turn support our health, our own health. Mm -hmm. um, biophilia is a word, when you break it down, it, it just means love of nature, mm. which is something that we we just have as human beings. We just, we can't help it. We just love nature. That's that's where we were born and that's what we're from. Yeah. <laughs> so to bring that into design is a way to bring, um, bring health and wellness concepts, but also joy and delight, mm -hmm. um, and understanding that those things all play into human health. And so it could be just like the enjoyment of the actual just wood itself, or the. That's right. Exactly right. Yeah, there's a biophilic response we would say to seeing natural exposed wood Interesting. In, in a building when you walk in. There are studies that show that people are happier, there's uh, increased productivity really? around biophilic effects, um, some interesting studies around uh, just perception of temperature. People just perceive themselves to be more comfortable in spaces with wood, even if the temperature is, everything else is exactly the same. Um, they have a larger range of what, what feels mm -hmm. comfortable. Um, so it's, it's just... It's fascinating. So this is the atrium space. This is sort of where the canyons gets its name from these, these big open air atriums. Yeah, and does all this open up too? These are actually smoke vents technically, so they're part of the smoke evacuation system you need when you have an atrium space. This is five floors of open space, and when you do that, a little bit different fire and safety requirements. So. Um, it's actually part of that that natural ventilation, passive ventilation yeah. system. So down on the second and third floor, it's open. As you can see, it's open on this side, full height. And so the, the air actually just moves naturally through up and out through through the space. So you can kind of feel the feel the air moving. I'm curious a little bit about the process, right? And what hurdles like you had to like overcome, you know, I'm thinking just across the board, you know, permitting to like regulations, like to get back to wood. Yeah. You know, it was a hard lift. And I think what's interesting is the concrete and steel industry has put hundreds of millions of dollars into a campaign to push back on these mass timber products, which is interesting. So you mm -hmm. flip through any architectural magazine these days and you, you'll immediately see an ad that says, if you live in a mass timber building, you'll die within 12 minutes in a fire. <laughs> and they have really outrageous photographs of fires in multifamily buildings. The odd thing is none of which are mass timber buildings. So they're really using, they're mm. using just burning apartment buildings to represent their case, even though they're not mass timber. So we faced those hurdles with the city of Portland and the state of Oregon. Um, but since we have a deep history in timber here in Oregon, it was a much easier lift than had we been trying it in New York 
for yeah. Ohio, for example. Mm -hmm. So we actually had the governor's support as well as any jurisdictions that would kind of heard the story and heard the deep history of using wood in, in, in the Northwest, coupled with the fact that in the 80s there were about 1,700 um, uh, mills closed. And so, and that eviscerated these timber towns that our whole country was built literally with yeah. and on. So I think here in the Northwest, we realize that it's, it's a great material to pick back up to try to reawaken these dormant industries and, and dormant towns like Riddle, Oregon, and mm. Ro parts, of, parts of Roseburg and out in Lyons, parts that, of our country that were struggling since like the, the 80s, it was the Northwest Forest Act put into place by Clinton that really started to eviscerate these towns due to yeah. some environmental overlays. So now I think we're coming full circle to, to realize that our original environmentalists were actually our loggers, believe it or not. And That's I think, so interesting. Yeah, it's really fun for, I think, Emily and me to realize is that environmentalists and loggers are today saying about the same thing. Yeah. And which is just completely different than even 15 years ago, yeah. even 10 years ago in the U in here in the U.S. And so there's an anecdote that I like thinking about recently is that we we faced all sorts of hurdles from fire life safety issues, predominantly Jake, mm. for Carbon mm -hmm. 12, which gotcha. is across the street. But we were recently approached by FEMA to um, use mass timber for the replacement housing in the areas devastated by wildfires oh, wow. in this last season wow. of, of, of wildfires. So that happened in six years. That we tells went, you something. They went from stopping us to saying, hey, let's use these materials in fire-prone areas. <laughs> so I think that that's kind of a fun... That's amazing. Yeah, in a yeah. very short amount what of time. What a picture. Yeah, what a crazy There's picture. so much there. One, not to make it about myself, but I will. Um, <laughs> I grew up in Prineville, Oregon, which oh. was one of those little Perfect. towns. And I remember like the 4th of July parades you know, like one year it was, you see these trucks just full of logs. And then the next year it was like, it was empty, empty. you know, and there was wow. these, it was that war that was yeah, going yeah. on. So when I think about that time for me, right, it was the spotted owl and it was like, yeah. hey, we've got to save. So someone says like, hey, logging, you just decimate, you know, yes, it's regenerative. We get to plant trees. It takes what, another 50, 60 years. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to maybe spend some more time there of like, yeah. Talking about that process. That's loaded. You're walking into yeah. a you're walking into <laughs> a landmine, you know. But you can have to edit out. We can edit it. That's fine. That's good. <laughs> no, I think it's a fantastic yeah. conversation. I think Emily and I love this conversation, mm -hmm. but it really is full of landmines because yeah. there's so much deep scar tissue in our country oh, around yeah. that exact. Yeah. Your memory as a child is still rippling through the Northwest. Absolutely. It's not so much in Southeast or even Northeast, but here in the Northwest, yeah. because of the spotted owl. And I think, I think in arrears, we might look back and say, and I think it's happening now, that it's an interesting position as a country to put a spotted owl in front of a, a, a small kid mm -hmm. or, a, or a working yeah. father or a working mm -hmm. mother. And I think that that's what they were trying to scream to us back then. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but there's also, of course, a case to preserve old growth forests. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, we, we really wanted as a country, to Emily's point, keep our connection to nature strong, mm -hmm. um, but offshoring all of our all of our polluting tactics of mm -hmm. oil use, which is what we do. We keep the United States beautiful and natural because we buy all of our high um, uh, damaging products from other countries, right? Mm -hmm. We import mm -hmm. all of our steel, all of our oil, all of, all of our refined fuels from countries that are ruining and ravaging their environments. 
So I think it is, uh, it's an interesting time that where we can take this and onshore it so we can really understand mm -hmm. the positive and negative benefits to our own people rather than damaging another people's yeah, yeah. environment. So, and I think that to, to that earlier point, wood is at a nexus point because of the environment and because yeah. of COVID and because of places like Prineville being wiped out and coming back that it's, we're all saying the same thing. And I think it's yeah. an uh, intricate, nuanced conversation, yeah. but it's a great conversation. Yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, it's I great. love it. it Maybe, seems, are you, go well, for it. it. It also just seems there's a real understanding right now that to come to any sort of path forward with how we treat our forests, we have to work together and collaborate mm. and actually really respect each other um, and the work that that is done. And so I think one of the things that happened back then was a real binary approach. Like yeah, yeah. if you're cutting down trees, you're bad and you must hate the environment. Yes. And and those loggers are, are going, what are you talking about? I love the forest more than you'll ever understand. Mm. I spend all of my time there. I understand it completely. And and so we're starting, you know, enough cool off time hopefully has <laughs> happened um, where we're starting to see a real willingness to get in the same room and listen yeah. and talk about it and say, well, OK, so really, what are you doing and why are you doing it that way? Mm -hmm. And why is it um, why is it more effective for the ecosystem maybe, than maybe this other way that we've been trying for a while? Should we share notes? How do we do yeah. this together? Why is this forest so different than this one? Um, you know, is it is it just species? Is it watersheds? Is it biodiversity? Is it access? You know, mm -hmm. there's just it's very complicated. So, understanding that it's very complicated, there's a lot of experts that need to come together and really work together. Yeah. Um, for maybe the first time, there's a. I, I'm I'm feeling a sense of collaboration mm. um, that it makes me hopeful that 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 healing has started. Yeah. Yeah, man. Novel concept. Look, look, let's all talk to each other and listen. <laughs> That's absurd. It's a good time. It's absurd, it's but I, do, I love it that it is a good yeah. time to like be like, all right, so we did this, these polls, this binary thing. Mm -hmm. I attack you, you attack me. But like, yeah. I love this theme of collaboration saying like, hey, now's the time to come together for ourselves, for the environment. Mm -hmm. We're all this one thing. So, yeah. And I think the recent political, yeah. you know, yeah. debacle really illustrated that divide that chasm is huge yeah. and i think it's it is partially because part of our country turned the our backs on the other part of the country mm -hmm. and i think mm -hmm. that that chasm i think mass timber believe it or not is a bridge yeah to reconnect those red and blue parts yeah, of our country really and it's happening absolutely emily and i are in conversations every day with deeply conservative parts of our state mm -hmm. and but we're all saying the exact same thing at the table and oh, i think I love that, that that's that's a pretty exciting that's time. really cool yeah to see it's that happen. Refreshing. Ben, in thinking about your journey, I've read a little bit that, and correct me if I'm wrong, like you've at the kind of at the forefront of the Pearl District or involved in the Pearl, and then you have these other, you know, beautiful developments around Mississippi, Vancouver, Williams. That's where we are right now on Vancouver Street. Mm -hmm. um, and thinking about, I don't know, it's a, it's a curious moment for Portland, right? And having that experience and that history like what are some of your hopes like moving forward like what are you seeing you know obviously you've thrown in on clt but just as a city i'd love to know kind of what you're seeing next and hoping that for, for a, the city that's a great question jake i think it's difficult for those of us sounds like you're a, a native um 
I'm from Cleveland, but I've been here since the 90s. Mm -hmm. It's a very difficult time, isn't it, to see Portland so devastated on so many levels. From mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And downtown's still boarded up. Um, the fencing is still up around the federal courthouse. There's graffiti everywhere. We have a significant homeless problem. Um, however, on the bright side, one, with the sun coming out, I can, I can feel Portland already starting to heal itself, which is interesting. And I, maybe some of that is probably me starting yeah. to heal myself as well as Portland starting to heal itself. Mm -hmm. And I think as the protests subside and as we as a country start to actually integrate the objectives of the protests, I think we can start that healing process, not too unlike the, the whole wood mm -hmm. issue. Mm -hmm. um, and on the very bright side, we are the capital of mass timber in North America. There's okay. more mass timber buildings in Portland than anywhere in the United States. Um, and so I think, and that trend is actually speeding up. Uh, our airport is just wrapping up a, a billion oh, yeah. dollar undertaking, which is going to be a mass timber gateway to the Northwest, which is pretty exciting. So I think that the, the, the hard work that we've all collectively put in here in Portland in general, the developers all downtown, they're coming together in a fantastic way to, to salvage Portland. Portland will bounce back. Our restaurants will reopen. Um, and I'm confident that we have a bright future ahead of us as we kind of recover. And coupled with, I think Mass Timber has a bright future with Portland being the focus. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Emily and I are working on a couple of very interesting larger scale ideas, working with the Port of Portland. Mm. Uh, something that I think will be transformative to the entire industry and keep Portland as the absolute leader in North America in mm -hmm. regard to how to do it, um, um, the beauty of it being done. We also have University of Oregon and Oregon State University mm. and they have a Tallwood Design Institute funded by Senator Merkley's office, which again is pouring more money into keeping Oregon as the, as the lead mm -hmm. on these products, Jake. Uh, and then coupled with, of course, our long timber uh, history and Prineville and all the towns that were born out of lumber. So I think with that, that scar tissue being broken apart a bit, mm. Portland recovering with the sunshine and COVID receding, mm -hmm. and then this focus of mass timber buildings, I'm bullish on yeah, I Portland love it. again. Sounds so, good to me, man. Yeah. Let's just yeah. get, take all the good we can. Well, yeah, I agree. Um, I totally agree. You mentioned so the, the Port Project. I'm curious just like what you're excited about and it can be a specific project you know that you're looking out towards with this mm -hmm. or are there other actual buildings you know that are inspirations to you you know personally like yeah i really or you know folks that are doing this work or mm -hmm. stuff that's inspired you um this site right next door that we're looking at that's a 52,000 square foot site it's an african-american church life changed church mm. We're working with them right now on an affordable housing project to be located oh, cool. on that site, which is exciting. It's not, it's not at all inked yet, and there's a lot to do, and, uh, but the church is such a fantastic partner. They're a long-term um, uh, group in this very interesting historical yeah. corridor of Williams, Vancouver. So I think I'm really excited about this affordable housing project. Mm -hmm. And the church will remain our partner, both in equity and in development, which is also a very exciting very component cool. of it. So I, I think that's one of the things, again, bolstering the neighborhood, bolstering the mm -hmm. uh, mass timber uh, conversation, of course. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one thing I'm pretty excited about. Yeah. Anything come to mind yeah. for you, Emily? I mean, I'm, I'm really, you know, with Ben, we, 
we just see affordability as such the next big uh, thing that needs to be solved for and and it's deeper than what material are you using it's deeper than how much does it cost to build a building it's way deeper than that um, so I think that that's that's where transformative work and more collaborative work helps guide us to these more holistic solutions yeah. that that hopefully can lead us to affordability. I mean, it's a huge, huge problem, and um, it's gonna take a lot more than architects to fix it, but um, that, to me, is the most exciting work yeah. ahead of us. While we're sitting here, I just wanna say thank you so much. Really appreciate oh, that yeah. you carve out the time to roll out this green carpet and chat with <laughs> us, and it's just been so, it's been wonderful, and um, thank you so much. It's like a spa treatment. It is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll take it. It's like it's like a day at the spa. That sounds good. Day at the spa sounds good. A day with Jake is a day at the spa. <laughs>